Praise team, thank you. God is good, isn't he? All the time? God is good, amen. I hope you've been blessed this week and blessed so far today as we've been worshiping. God's goodness can be seen all around us at all times, and sometimes we don't recognize it. I'm reminded of a story of a pastor who was ministering in a small rural town with a small church, and that church had this one lady who was a member, yes, that one lady or guy, who was habitually negative. Just nothing was ever good. There was always something negative connected, even with something that was positive. So anytime there was a conversation, it never ended on a good note. And so the pastor just saw this as a challenge, and he said, I'm going to find something positive to run past this lady, and she's not going to be able to get out of it, not going to be able to have anything negative. So a couple years pass, and the challenge was still there, and she was the owner of a potato farm. And so this one particular year, the potato harvest was incredible. It was the biggest one in decades, and they're all healthy, big potatoes that were dug up, an incredible harvest. And so he says, aha, I got her. This is my opportunity. There's nothing negative about this harvest. And so he goes to her at church that week, and, she, and he says, hey, I noticed that the potato harvest was incredible. Congratulations. What a blessing from God. And she goes, yes, it was, but. She said, but I don't have any bad ones now to feed the pigs. She, she had to find something. Wah, wah. Debbie Downer. I gotta be careful. My mom's name's Debbie, so mom, I love you if you're watching. We can be a Debbie or a Daryl Downer, whichever you choose. Sometimes when we're together and my mom doesn't agree with us, we just go, wah, wah. She's a good sport. Um, but you know, it's interesting. Sometimes we miss the goodness of God all around us because we just aren't looking for it. Or we're distracted by everything else. I remember um, years ago when I was young in ministry, there was an individual that reminded me of the potato lady um, at one of my churches. And, and every week after the sermon, she would come, and it was just years that it happened, even before I was there. And, and she'd come, and, and every week there was something that she had to pick about the sermon or about the whole program. And, and one week it was uh, that I, <laughs> I said, you guys, twice, and she goes, we're not guys. And so she was writing down how many times I said, you guys. And I said, okay, that's good advice, thank you. The following week was something else. It was, it was I, I took my jacket off. And as a matter of fact, if you took your jacket off up front, she would stand up and walk right out the back because it was disrespectful. And so we all kept our jackets on in a church that had, I think it was no AC. It was hot. And so there's always something. And it came to the point where, where she, every week was something different. And so eventually she just stopped coming to church. We often wonder, why was it that she was missing all the goodness of God all around her, but she had to focus on the one or two things that were disagreeable to her. Why do we miss the goodness of God? Because we're distracted. And so today, as we look at God's goodness and how we celebrate that goodness, I want to assure you that we don't have to miss it, because it's everywhere, and it's found in Jesus. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, today, as we open your word, as we worship you through your word, we pray that our hearts be lifted up because of your goodness and your grace. 
We pray that we'd be transformed in the process into the likeness of Jesus. We pray that there'd be much less of me, but none of me in all of Jesus today. And we thank you ahead of time for the blessing that awaits. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the tragic part about that story was she left the church where we were at, and she passed away, and I attended her funeral. And I'm not sure if she even wanted me there, honestly, but her, her family called me to, to be there. And, and I remember meeting her daughter for the first time, and her daughter said, I know my mom was a challenge. And I said, well, she was, she, we, we loved her, and yes, sometimes there's some challenges there. She goes, well, this was tragic, by the way. This was, she said, that's why I don't go to church anymore. She goes, my mom was so negative, that's how I grew up. That was the tragic part. When we miss God's blessing, many times our negativity rolls off on the people around us, and it spreads. And it damages people, damages relationships. So the question is, how can we recognize and live in the goodness of God? I believe that we were created to experience God's joy and his goodness through something called celebration. And we're talking about walking with Jesus. I believe one of the spiritual disciplines, one of the ways to walk with Jesus is the discipline of celebration. Did you ever think of that? A discipline or an element of our walk with Christ, which is literally celebrating. Or in other words, having a party. How's that sound? Partying with Jesus? I know, don't take me wrong, we're not talking about the kind of parties that are out there. We're talking about a party that is a kingdom party a good party, a celebration with Jesus. So what does this mean? You know, we were created for celebration. How do we know that? Well, I can just speak for guys. When it comes to sports, we love to celebrate, right? Amen, guys? You know, if, if you were a Tampa fan this year, I just said this to somebody yesterday, you had a great year. If you like sports, I mean, you had the Super Bowl win, you had the Stanley Cup final that you won. You almost won the World Series for one town to have three teams Either won or almost won a championship is incredible. It's unheard of. And so we get excited about that. I can remember a few years back when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. It was probably one of the top, okay, four days of my life of marriage, childbirth. It was, it was up there. <laughs> Honey, promise. But man, I'll tell you, it was, we were going crazy. My brothers and I were together. We were just going crazy. I couldn't talk for three days. We were celebrating so hard <laughs> after that win. It was unbelievable. And if, Mike, if you're a Bama fan, where, Mike, where are you sitting? Yeah, Bama. Bama, yeah. <laughs> you know, you guys win so often, it's just expected, you know, but, you know, but when, when you don't win, it's once in a while, it's just a little disappointing. But, but we love you anyway. Um, but we are created for celebration. Ladies celebrate different things. I know ladies like sports too, but there's, we're all created and wired differently to, to celebrate different things. So how do we celebrate the goodness of God? I think the first biblical concept connected with the goodness of God and celebration is to recognize that celebration is the pulse and the lifeblood, the heartbeat of all creation. You see, God's party, the party of his kingdom, is eternal. It's universal. It starts at the very throne of God, and the concentric circles goes out and out through the very expanses of all God's creation. Celebration is the rhythm and the heartbeats, the pulse of God's creation. How do we know this? Because Scripture reveals it very clearly. Job chapter 38, verse 4 through 7. 
As God is speaking to Job regarding the creation of this planet, he talks about the foundations of the world being laid, how he stretches out the line upon it. And he says, to what in verse 6 were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? He's referring to himself, but asking the question. He says, when the morning stars sang together, in other words, all the unfallen angels before the fall of Lucifer, all of them sang together before the throne, and all the sons of God, all the unfallen beings across the entire universe sang together, celebrated, and shouted for joy. Hallelujah. Celebration has always been at the center of God's kingdom, of his very existence, of the universe. But we said even in creation, God creates this planet, and what's he do? He creates a very special day. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. He rests on the Sabbath day, and, and hallows it. He blesses it. You know, sometimes we think that the Sabbath is just a memorial of creation, when in fact it's not a memorial, but it is a celebration of creation. So because we think of a memorial, it's something that we've kind of lost. It doesn't seem very exciting. We memorialize something that we just want to appreciate maybe. But a celebration of creation is something that we exuberantly celebrate and party about. It should get us excited because God is our creator God. And the Sabbath is a weekly reminder, even before the fall, that God is our creator. And we can celebrate the goodness of God through his creation. Even though we see only a semblance after the fall. It's amazing, just as a side note, this past week was Earth Day. And across the United States, I'm not sure it's a world thing. But, you know, I was thinking, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, what group of Christians amongst the entire around the world should have an appreciation for God's creation and stewards of God's creation than those who recognize his creative hand through the Sabbath? I'm not saying we go and chase whaleboats down or, or protest. No, no. But God has given us a responsibility to care for his creation. We're stewards. That's what he gave Adam and Eve the, the work to do. We too are stewards of God's creation. We celebrate creation not just through the Sabbath, but also through respecting and through caring for God's creation. But throughout history, we see the celebratory dynamic of God's kingdom. It wasn't just that creation, but he reminds them of the Sabbath. You see, celebration is also about remembering God gives us this heart of celebration because he wants to remind us of his goodness time and time again. And so he gives us a weekly Sabbath to remind us of his creative goodness, his power, his strength, his love for us. And he reminds them in the book of Exodus about that. And in Exodus 5 verse 1, as he's asking for the freedom of Israel to come out of Egypt, he calls it a feast or a celebration. The Sabbath is not just a day to rest. It is a day to celebrate. Amen? But many times we think it's a day of simply rest, which simply means we just kind of chill. But it's a day to celebrate. It's a day to delight in, the Bible says. It's a day to party in the kingdom of God. Throughout history we see this, and that's why God gave Israel three yearly feasts. There was the Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, or First Fruits, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, or Harvest. He does these to remind Israel throughout the year to have a party, to remind them of God's goodness. Time and time again, he realizes that he's implanted this element of celebration in the hearts of his people, and he gives opportunity to remember his goodness, to remind us of his goodness weekly and yearly, multiple times. And thirdly, he also gave them what was called the Jubilee. And so every seven-year cycle, the seventh year, they would 
let the earth lay fallow. They would not plant, they would not harvest, but they would live off the land or the things that were already growing or what they stored. And so there was a cycle of seven, seven-year periods, which equaled 49 years. And on the 50th year, God said, this is called the Jubilee. And in, Ex- and in Exodus, I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 25, if you turn there with me, here's what God says about the Jubilee. Just the word Jubilee itself is jubilation, excitement. It's celebration. And there's significance in this, and, and pay close attention. In verse 9, it says, Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement of that year. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. You shall consecrate the fiftieth year, and I love this, to proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. To each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. There's significance there. Because what it meant was when, when there was debts that needed to be paid, they would be forgiven. If you owed somebody something on that 50th year, all debts are canceled. Amen? What a great year. On that year, if you were an indentured servant, you were freed from your indentured servanthood to go back with your family. Hallelujah. There's significance in the year of Jubilee because the next time we see it in Scripture here is in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus is in his hometown. He goes to his home church, and he gets up to read. And he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And what does he say? He's quoting Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He's referring to the Jubilee. Guys, here is the most amazing thing, the most incredible truth, that Jesus declares that he himself is the fulfillment of the Jubilee. He is our Jubilee. He is the one through his death and resurrection, through his life, that he frees us from the oppression of sin. He frees us from the debt of sin. He opens the eyes spiritually of we who are blind. Jesus is our Jubilee, and because of Jesus, we can now celebrate every single moment of the day because we live perpetually by the Spirit in the Jubilee of Jesus. Can we say amen? Because he has freed us, he's forgiven us, and he has opened our eyes to his goodness. He begins his public ministry proclaiming the Jubilee, and and in Christ we join the party. We join the party at the throne of God, the celebration. We've been created to celebrate. It's the pulse of all creation, but secondly, it is the fruit of something called joy. Celebration is the fruit of joy. Joy's the life of the party. If you're going to personify a concept, joy would be the life of the party. Ever been to a party where things were kind of eh? Nobody was talking, kind of people in their corners, it's quiet, like what's going on? And then somebody comes in and they break the silence. There's always that certain person that comes into the room and boom, the party is back. When the party is waning, when the celebration is getting dim in our hearts, joy is the life of the party. 
How do we know that? How do we know that joy is the life of the party? How do we know that it is the fuel that keeps the party going, the celebration of Jesus? We find this in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. Mike Lay read this to us earlier. Let's read it again. Nehemiah, they just built the walls in Jerusalem after the 70-year captivity. Ezra was the priest. Nehemiah was the governor. And he reads the law, as Mike shared earlier, to the people. For hours on end, they sat, they stood, and they read the law of God. And they were weeping. Verse 10 says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. Basically he's saying, Go eat the little Debbies, the oatmeal cream pies, the star crunches. Go eat the sweet stuff. Go eat the goodness. Because they are the fat of the Adventist world. Go drink the fruit of the grape. Whatever they were drinking was a sweet juice. Go enjoy. But basically he's saying, go have a party. Don't weep. This is not a time for weeping. But you need to go celebrate. Have a party. Why? He says, for this day is holy to our God. Do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. Think about that for a moment. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The strength of God is found in our lives through his joy. Have you come today feeling weak, burdened, heavy laden with care, stressed out, ready to give up? God says, I have strength for you. And I'll reveal it and I'll place it in you through my joy. There's no supplement. There's no no shortcut. God is the only one who can fulfill this promise. The joy, not the joy that we think we can gain, not the one we think we can use as a fix, however we try to medicate ourselves with a false sense of joy, but the joy of the Lord alone is our strength. It is only found in Him. He's only, the only one who can give it to us, who can plant it in our hearts. How do we find the strength to move forward to find that joy? It comes from within where God has planted it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Have you ever noticed in life when you don't have joy in something you've taken up that it doesn't last very long? Have you, have you thought about that? Many of us have a Nordic track at home, some weights we bought over COVID, maybe a thing we saw on HSN or bought on Amazon, our new hobby. Maybe it was a tennis racket, a set of golf clubs. Maybe it was an instrument, a piano or a trumpet. And we thought, I'm going to learn this over this COVID thing. I'm going I'm to master something. And then we got it, and then we started using it. But there was no joy. <laughs> it wasn't fun. It wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And so there it sits. <laughs> Why? Because there's strength and joy. If you're not finding joy in something you're doing, chances are you're not going to do it for long. Think about it. I have an enormous food dehydrator at home that we bought as a discount somewhere. I was like, man, we're going to make our own dried fruit. This is going to be awesome. We're going to have an endless supply of, of dried bananas and pineapple and apples. We're just going to keep coming. So we get this big thing home, start reading the instructions. I was like, wait a minute. It takes like a week to make anything. I don't want to wait a week to have a dried apple or some raisins. 
You know where that went? Right in the cupboard. Never been seen for about 10 years. I didn't find joy. Set it aside. (laughs) I have a meat slicer at home. Don't ask me why, but I'll share with you. I was sick of going to the ABC, not the liquor store, the other one, and, and getting those, those large veggie rolls, like the big ones, and you try to cut them with a knife, and you have one end that thick, and the other end's like that thick. You know, you can never cut it evenly. I was like, I'm going to, I found a meat slicer, somebody was selling it, so I got it for cheap. And I tried it once. Veggie meat doesn't work well with a meat slicer. It just kind of <laughs> disintegrates. It's like flying everywhere. It's like wood chips. The joy was lost in the cupboard. When we don't find joy in something, it's not going to last long. And so Richard, uh, Richard Foster, the author of A Celebration of Discipline, he talks about the celebration of God. And he says, without the experience of joy and celebration, none of the other disciplines, Bible study, prayer, submission, nothing is going to last in our life. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's what gives us the strength to continue on with him. Is what the Bible says. I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and only in Him will we find joy. Joy and happiness, by the way, are not the same thing. We get them confused. Sometimes we think that happiness is what we are going to find all the time in our lives. But happiness and joy are two different things. Happiness, on one hand, is something that we experience based on our circumstances. And so we're always pursuing happiness. How? By trying to change our circumstances, our situation, to one that is favorable, that somehow we might find happiness. So we pursue happiness constantly in our life, and usually never fully finding it, or finding it for a moment, and then it's lost. But joy is different. Joy is totally different. It's much deeper. It's much richer. It's much more planted as a tree by the water because it trusts in God first of all. But secondly, it is not dependent on our circumstances. True joy, the joy of the Lord is experienced in spite of our circumstances. It's not determined by them, but it's experienced in spite of them. I'm not here to tell you that everything's flowery. Life is always good. No, it's not. Life is hard. Life is tough. Jesus promised that we'd have tribulation and trials. It's reality. Let's be real. But God says, even amidst the trials, I'm not going to erase them or candy coat them, give you a Brady Bunch ending to everything. Some things are not going to turn out like we expect. But God said, if you trust me, I'll give you joy in the midst of it. I'll give you my peace. I'll give you my presence. I'll see you through if you just trust me. It's not going to be easy. But I will give you my strength through joy. How else can we explain Paul and Silas in a prison, chained and stocked with bleeding, bruised backs, beat to a pulp, there in stocks, in the most uncomfortable position possible for the human body. And at midnight, the darkest hour, they're singing hymns and praising God. It's not because their circumstances were favorable and were bringing happiness, but they had the joy of the Lord in the midst of the most horrible horrible nights of their life. How was it that Jesus, facing the cross, looking ahead 
at what was going to take place. The weight of the sins of the world, the, the, the physical aspect was nothing compared to the spiritual dynamic of, of the sins and the guilt of the world coming down and crushing the life out of our Savior. He looked ahead, but how did he follow through? Because he delighted to do the will of his Father. The joy of his Father was his strength. Not just that, but I'm going to share with you something else that's very powerful. Why Jesus moved forward in just a moment. I remember my brother, the one who's a pastor. I was a teenager. He had started pastoring some years before I did. He's seven years older than me. And I remember he got a call from Central California Conference. And he was pastoring in Pennsylvania. He was close by. We enjoyed having him not too far from where we lived to hang out, get together for family get-togethers. And we thought, eh, he's not going to go to California. It's too expensive. You know, it's beautiful, but nah, forget it. Well, here he ends up accepting the call. We were devastated. He was going to Cal- the opposite side of the country. He was going to be so far away. And I love my brother. We're like best friends. It's going to stink. And so we all get our families together. It was the week before he was leaving, and we're all in tears. It was the last night we were going to be together for a long time. We brought gifts. We were saying our farewells. And we realized it was a tough night for our family. And as I remember that experience, I remember what the Bible says. It said our weeping may last for a night. We're going to experience things that don't make us happy. But the Bible says joy comes in the morning. Amen? Joy comes in the morning. You might experience something, but it's temporary. God's joy will always be your strength. And God's strength is made perfect in your weakness through his joy. We can claim and hold that promise. One thing also about celebration is that we can try to celebrate without joy. We do it all the time. Sometimes we come to church and we're celebrating, but we're dead. Did you ever, did you ever experience that? We're singing a song. We're just monotone. We don't really care what's going on. We're going through the motions, standing up, sitting down, doing what everyone else is doing. By the way, you got to be careful. There was a guy who was a, a pastor. He went and visited, I think it was Spain, and he was in Spain, and he visited a church, and uh, he was there, and he sat next to the guy who didn't understand the language. He was from America, and so he didn't no idea what was happening. He was just following the guy beside him, standing up and down when they were getting up and down for the songs and prayer, just following the, following the motions. And so finally, he stands up, and it's just him and this guy beside him standing up, and everybody gasps, <gasps> and he sits back down. He had no idea what happened. So afterwards, he talks to the pastor, which he knew. He goes, what was that all about? He said, he goes, he goes, you don't understand Spanish at all, do you? He goes, no. He goes, well, well what we did, we asked the, the, the proud father of the baby to please stand up. <laughs> Got to be careful, following the motions. Dead worship is simply a formality. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Jesus is talking to the lady at the well. And she is conversing with Jesus. That story alone is just an amazing story. We don't have time to go into it. But they start talking about worship in verse 22. And it says, You worship what you do not know, Jesus says to her, because she's asking about worship. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. God is bringing salvation and true worship through the Jewish nation. Verse 23 says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in both spirit 
and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Friends, I want to share with you something. We we can worship God imperfectly because as sinful human beings, our worship is always imperfect because it's emanating from imperfect hearts through imperfect language, but perfected through Jesus as our high priest. He makes it better. He makes it perfect. We can worship him imperfectly, but we cannot worship God insincerely. You can worship him imperfectly, but you cannot worship God and celebrate him insincerely. It doesn't work. It's impossible. And what Jesus is saying to this woman is is that God is longing. He is looking because it warms his heart. It touches the heart of our Heavenly Father, the God of the universe, when people worship him in spirit and in truth with both our minds and our hearts, in truth and in spirit. Don't ever believe for a second that worship is not emotional. Many times we've been told that we need to erase emotion from worship. If we erase emotion, we erase half of the concept of what God is looking for. There's no spirit. It's just going through the motions if our heart is not in it. And so God, through the Holy Spirit, through the joy and celebration of his joy, he implants within us a spirit of worship and celebration where we can worship him in spirit and in truth. Celebration is the pulse of all creation. God's party is always going on, starting from his throne throughout the entire universe. Celebration is the fruit of joy. Joy is the life of the party. It's the fuel that keeps the party going. And thirdly, joy-inspired celebrations, that's what we're talking about. Joy-inspired celebration is the fruit or result of God's goodness. That's where it starts. That's the core. That is the source. That's why it's called the joy of the Lord. It begins with him. It's the fruit of his goodness. As he walks, I've shared this before, before Moses, he says, show me your glory. And he says, I'll, show all, I'll cause all my goodness to pass before you. And he proclaims the Lord, Lord, full of mercy and grace. He declares his character of love and mercy before Moses. And so God's goodness is portrayed and exemplified through his grace, which is really truly his glory. The glory of God is his grace. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And what's the second one? Do you ever think about that? Joy is second in line. I'm not saying it's all categorized by importance, but just think about it for a second. When we have the love of God in our heart, when we truly love God, and because of God's love for us, we have this fruit of love that the Holy Spirit plants within us to love God with all of our hearts, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's only through that love that we can truly experience his joy. It is the result is the fruit of joy and love. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Verse 9. This is Jesus shortly before his crucifixion. And he's sharing some final words with his disciples. So very important, very significant words. Listen to the words of Jesus. Let's listen closely. Let's, let's take them in. 
because they're, they're relevant. They're essential. Verse 9, he says, As the Father loved me, he says, I also have loved you. And then notice he says, abide in my love. He says, rest, exist, live in my love. He says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. Did you catch that? And that your joy may be what? That your joy may be full. There's a key element here that Jesus is talking about. There's a couple key elements. I'm going to keep reading for just a moment. He says, this is my commandment, this is all connected, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So how does this all fit together? What's this have to do with joy and celebration? Simply put, we see that loving obedience to God because of our, what the Spirit's implanted in us, the love for God, with all of our heart, exemplified through obedience as he wills and does his good pleasure in and through our life as we're depending and surrender to him. And then our love for our fellow human beings through sacrificial service and love are the bookends to joy. Do you see it? Jesus says, in the middle of the two, when you love God with all your heart and abide in my love, And when you love others with sacrificial love, even if it means giving up your rights and yourself and even your life for the sake of someone else, that's the greatest love, which he would soon exemplify on the cross. And he says, if you have these bookends in your life by the joy of God, he says, you will have my joy and it will remain in you. Nothing can shake it. Nothing can move it. When you're surrounded by God's love and a conduit of God's love to those around us, that our joy will be full. What's that mean? It means that we'll be so full of the joy of God that we can't fit anything else in there. That your joy will be full, complete. Hallelujah. It's by the grace and goodness of God. I got to share this before we close because this, this, is, this is important. Because joy-inspired celebration which is the fruit of God's goodness. The joy of the Lord reveals and is the root of our true identity. I want to read verse 11 again. These things I have spoken to you, that, you may, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Before that, he says, as the Father loved me, in verse 9, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. What's it mean to abide in Jesus' love? It means that our identity, our existence is all centered in Jesus. Amen? Abide in my love. We are fueled. We are alive. God's love is actually the, the, the life source of the entire universe. Sin is the source of death, but God's love is the source of life. It is a principle that begets life through the heart of God. Love is the power and strength that keeps the universe going and that one day will restore all things. But it's where we find our identity. And we see that marked in the book of Mark chapter 1. Jesus is being baptized as our example. As he's coming up out of the water, a voice comes from heaven and says, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am what? 
well pleased. And immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. That's the next verse, which is relevant, by the way. But a voice comes from heaven, from God the Father, saying, You are my Son, in whom I am whom I love, and I am well pleased. What's the significance? The significance is this, is that if we are in Christ and believe that God was in Christ, giving himself to save this planet, it also means that God also loves you because Jesus told us that the Father himself loves you. And so in Christ, as our brother now, through the incarnation we are looked at with the same value as Jesus by the Father. Just take that in for a moment. Is when God sees us, he says the same thing as he said to Jesus. He says, you are my beloved son or daughter, who I love. In you, what's it say? I am well pleased. God's pleasure is found in you. How amazing is that? That God finds pleasure in you. I look at my life many times and I think God is, he can't find pleasure through this imperfect life. How does he find pleasure in this? When we mess up so often. But his pleasure is not dependent on you. It's dependent on his grace and his heart. If it's dependent on us, He'd always be displeased. <laughs> but instead, because of Jesus, he looks at us and he is well pleased. It's like when we look at our kids. They might not be perfect. If yours are going through the teenage years, you know it's not going to be perfect. But you know that you're pleased and you love them, not because they're perfect, but simply because your heart flows with love and grace towards them despite the challenges. That's how God looks at us. He loves us despite ourselves. And so God's delight is found in us. When he says, you are my son, my daughter, we find our identity. Our identity is as his child. When he says, whom I love, he says, I love you, we find our value. And when he says, I am well pleased with you, that's his joy. That's his delight. You may have come here today feeling worthless, feeling lost, feeling broken, not quite sure where you fit in the family of God, but God says to you today, you are my son, you are my daughter, you belong. I love you, I value you more than anything else in the universe, and I am pleased with you. Some of us today needed to hear that, that God is pleased with you. Because we've been hearing how displeased God's been with you for too many years And the enemy's words and his voice in your head have been telling you that God is displeased with you for far too long. And the guilt and shame of your life has kept you from experiencing the joy of God. But today God is releasing you. He is saying, you are my child. I love you and I am pleased with you. Through Jesus. There's more I'd like to share, but we're not today. I want to end with that thought. There's a celebration in heaven that is the pulse of creation. And Jesus reveals that there's a party every single day before the throne of God when one lost sinner comes to repentance. 
We think there's not a party in heaven. We think it's all just quiet and silence. Jesus says through the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, especially the lost son, there's dancing and music in that one, that there's a party in heaven. Before the throne of grace, the angels are moving and singing and celebrating, and God is celebrating when we come to him because that's what moves his heart. You are his delight. He loves you and I. There's no greater joy to the heart of God than us coming to him because he's been coming after us our whole life. We finally just turn and say, oh, there you are. You've been there the whole time. Right behind me, right before me, right around me. And I didn't see you, but now I see you. And now I'm yours. That's all he asks, is that we just surrender and say, I am yours. Many of us have come today sitting outside the party for too long because we've been looking at ourselves, we've been focused on us. We think the party's ours, but the party's God's. It's not about you, it's about him. Sometimes we get so self-absorbed that we miss the party. We miss the celebration. But today God is calling you and I to the table. The celebration's happening now. It is all around you. It is not just simply in heaven. It's not the, just the marriage of the Lamb, which we all look forward to in the near future. Amen? We sit down with Abraham and Isaac and the people from all generations in the, the big party when we're in heaven together with Jesus, our Savior. But he says, right now the kingdom is around you. It is in you. The party is happening right where you're sitting. It is in your life. It is in your heart. I want to allow that party to exude out of you. And the party and the celebration of God would be contagious to those you come in contact with. That his grace and his love and his mercy would flow from you into the lives of your family, your children, your spouse, your coworkers, your neighbors, and your friends. That's God's call to us today. I just want to ask a question. If your desire today is that God would first of all be Lord of your life, like I said, maybe you've, been, maybe you've been listening to the voice for far too long that you're worthless, you're not loved, and God's never been pleased with you. But they're all lies, and today you're realizing for the first time that it's all been a lie, but that he loves you, you're his son and daughter, and he's pleased. And he wants you to remain in him and to experience his joy. Maybe this is the first time, or maybe you'd just like to reaffirm, if you would, just raise your hand with me as we pray together. Amen. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, you see every hand that is raised today. Lord, we recognize that celebration is indeed the pulse of all creation. Your party is eternal. The celebration around your throne takes place because of your goodness from your, your angelic host all the way to the very rocks that will cry out if we do not. Your goodness is amazing. Your grace, and we find our joy and our peace through your love and your grace. Today, we recognize our identity in you, that we are loved, we are titled as your child, and we are delighted in. You even say you're pleased with us, even when we're not so pleasing to ourselves and others. You're pleased with us because of Jesus and his life and his sacrifice because of your great mercy and grace, that we can come as we are 
to be forgiven and cleansed, to receive new energy, new strength through the joy that you plant in us through your Holy Spirit. Renew us. Rejuvenize, rejuvenize us, we pray, by your power and your love. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would please stand with us for the closing song?
California. But halfway through the get-together, I told you we were close. I don't know why he chose to just tell me. But he turns to me. I was right beside him. Everyone's crying. He goes, Brian, he said, we're not going. (laughs) I said, what do you mean? We just felt convicted. We're not going. I said, then why are we here? Everyone's crying. They've given you gifts. He goes, we'll tell them tomorrow. (laughs) That didn't go over well. But you know what? Sorrow may come for the night, but joy came in the morning. (laughs) All was forgiven because they were staying. You may be going through something today where sorrow is weighing heavy on your heart, but I assure you that joy is coming because the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Look to him. Trust in him. It's coming. I guarantee it, not because of what I'm saying, but because of what he has said and promised. That's the strength of the words. They're his. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as we leave this place, may we leave with renewed strength. Renewed strength in you that comes from your joy. Father, as we heard last week, our hearts were blessed by searching and recognizing our heart song, as Pastor Alex shared with us. The heart song of the entire universe is that great is your faithfulness. You are good and your goodness endures forever. Even though we all have our own heart song, collectively we declare together that you are faithful. And we praise you for that. Bless us today. Bless us tomorrow. Bless us until we gather again on that great day with the redeemed of all the ages at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We look forward to it, Father. But help us to live in your joy in the here and now as we wait for that great day. We thank you in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. As a reminder, there will be elders up here at the front if you would like special prayer to pray with you. We'll be up right up here at these front pews, so please come forward with a special prayer for any reason. Also, as a reminder, our deacons are standing by the back doors with offering plates if you'd like to submit your tithes and offerings that way. There's obviously other ways that you can submit online or in the mail. This is just another option for you. God bless. We love you. Have a great Sabbath.